Welcome back to Shit Show Saturday. And I would say the thing that I've loved the most about this podcast is the people that I've been able to connect with in this this shit show, gentlemen included. Welcome, shit show, Rick. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So, first question What song do you want played when you walk into a room? Um, enter Sandman. Okay. Favorite cheese? Um, cracked pepper. Favorite carbohydrate? I like them all. It's tough to choose. Okay. And I agree. Um, favorite condiment? Ketchup. Ketchup. Are you, are you avoidant? Yeah. You're kind of avoidant. How do you feel about the condiments? We say that like mustard is an avoidance condiment, but like ketchup could be due. I mean, are you, are you mostly a a purist and an occasional ketchup or how do you feel about condiments? Um, I like them on most things. Um, I'm not, you're the exception to the rule. Next question. I'm not talking to you, Kiki. Okay. So I got, so I pulled, you know, how I have my, my red flag game, my game of terrible dates. So you have to pick, you have to date one of these two people and you have to tell me which one you would rather date. Okay. So would you rather date somebody who (laughs) regularly hosts tea parties for dolls (laughs) or can only eat out of somebody else's hand? Yikes. I know those are hard. Um, I would probably have to say eat out of someone else. <laughs> okay. <Dolls kinda. laughs> okay. This next one's really weird. <laughs> I couldn't. Bl- okay. So would you rather date a hobbit <laughs> or this one really cracked me up? Okay. Or someone who, <laughs> who is actually two children stacked on top of each other in a French coat. <laughs> What? Oh, isn't that so good? Have you ever seen the little rascals? <laughs> Remember when they go into the bank? Oh. So are you gonna pick the Hobbit? Yeah, you gotta go <laughs> two people French coat. <laughs> okay, I thought that was so funny. Okay, last time. Um, would you rather date someone who keeps talking about their hot cousin? <laughs> Or someone who slept with one of your parents recently. <laughs> I think you have to go with hot cousin. Yeah, I think the hot cousin would be it. <laughs> I think that this one takes the cake. It's actually two kids stacked on top of each other in a French coat. Oh, Lord. Okay, so I'm going to read you the, le- the email that you sent me. The initial email that you sent me, this was back in a year ago. This was over a year ago. This was on April 25th, 2021. He said, Andrea, I would like to thank you so much for doing this podcast. It has opened my eyes to so much that I never knew. I am 52 year old adult child. I have 11 months sober and I'm still trying to figure out this whole living sober thing. I spent most of my life living with booze and drinking away problems. After hitting bottom, I've been working in AA to stay sober and to lead a happy life, but there is something missing. Answers to questions they keep asking, like why? I knew I grew up in an alcoholic family. My father was and his father was, but why am I the way that I am? 
Your podcast on the laundry list really opened my eyes. I have many of those traits on that list. We'll keep up the good work. You're affecting my life in many, many ways. Oh, that's one of my favorite emails that I'd received. I love that email. So how does that, how does that feel to hear that? So that's like over a year ago. So now you have, are you about to have two years? Yeah. I have two years this month. When? Uh, 23rd this month. Wow. That's huge. Yeah, it's big. That is huge. Um, so who was Rick in that moment back then when you sent that email and who is Rick com- compared to who is Rick now? Uh, Rick was beat down, broken, mm-hmm. um, lost and extremely confused. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't know which way was up. Uh, life was an absolute mess. Uh, you know, trying to get off of the, off of the, the, the alcohol was rough. And when I did, everything was a foggy mess. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, nothing made sense at all. No pink cloud. <laughs> I mean, the pink cloud lasted for the first month, month or two, you know, and then after that you start getting, well, maybe a little longer, you start getting fuzzy again, you know, cause you don't, you don't have that, that baby bottle next to you. You don't have that, that, that vice to take you out of stuff. See, I had no idea how to deal with stuff. I mean, I've been drinking since I was probably 17, mm-hmm. you know, uh, breakups through parties, through sports, through everything. Um, and that was the only thing I had to go to. Um, never really felt like I fit in, even though I guess I did, but I just never felt like I did. So, um, but today I, I feel much better. You know, I see a path. Um, I see, I see a way out. Mm-hmm. I see progress. Um, and I'm able to notice triggers when they come up. Um, and I'm able to sometimes pause. And when I do, I can reflect before I answer. Um, doesn't always happen. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a work in progress, but I'm, but I've definitely come a long way. You sure as hell have. So when you got sober this time, had you tried before? Like, had you gone to AA before? Um, I was in AA probably six or eight months before. Um, I, I had, I had four months and then I went back out. Um, only lasted a week. It was, it was a definite shit show downhill fast, (laughs) uh, back in the room with my tails between my legs. I think I lasted a month, Uh of course, you know, going to meetings, but I wasn't, I wasn't doing what I was told. Uh Uh, I think I lasted maybe a month and then that's when COVID hit. Um, you know, um, and I actually through a, uh, app, I found a guy in Canada, Western Canada, um, that I connected with, um, wound up doing a zoom with him. He became my sponsor and it, and there's nothing going on. Uh I actually went through the big book and the steps in a week. Wow. It was about a week and a half. We spent an hour every single day on Zoom reading, uh, reading the the uh, big book and going through everything. That's how they used to do it back in the day. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. They just go right on through that. That's amazing. What was it? What app in the rooms or something? It was. Um, what was it? Are you sure it wasn't like a gay dating app? <laughs> it was <laughs> like Grinder. <laughs> Sober grid. Oh, cool. 
Is he still your sponsor? Yeah. Yeah. Actually I talked to him. Um, I got him on WhatsApp now. So we, so we text all the time now. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a really good app. There's a lot of good help in there. A lot of good people. So, so then were you going to meetings in person at all during the pandemic or was it all just on zoom? Uh, it was on zoom, which I, I really didn't care for. Yeah. No kidding. That was, that was going to be my struggle, but, uh, you know, I found him online and I, that's, that's pretty much all I did. Yeah. I can't imagine getting sober during the pandemic. Cause I mean, I had to be in meetings in person every day, but then at the same time, I think that there probably were a lot of people who maybe wouldn't have felt comfortable enough to go to a, a meeting in person who felt comfortable to go to one online, you know? Yeah. I talked to quite a few people in meetings who, who, you know, you get the whole gamut. Some people hate it. Some people love it. And some people think it's, you know, 50, 50, they could take it either way. So, so. yeah, it definitely makes meetings a bit more accessible, but I do think that there's kind of like a, an intimacy blockage or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You definitely meet, uh, need that. I think you need a home group still. I still think you need to see, to have in-person stuff. Um, I know a few people who can't get out of work, but they'll take their lunch break. Mm-hmm. And they'll jump on a Zoom during their lunch break. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great tool to add to your tool belt. So, mm-hmm. um, so talk about your upbringing. You were the youngest, right? The youngest of three. My brother is five years older. My sister's eight years older. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you know. You say it's normal because what else do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, small town. Um, you know, had friends. Uh, played sports you know, all that type of stuff. Uh, like I said, before I started drinking, probably when I was 16 or 17, but that was like the thing that you do, you know, that's, you know, back in the woods and down by the beach and whatever. Um, so high school was, high school was fun. Um, lots of parties, you know, my drinking didn't really, uh, really hit hard, I guess, till I played two years of baseball in college and then, um, decided to hang up my cleats. Cause it, I just wasn't, I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't doing anything and my grades were slipping. So, um, I think drinking replaced heavy drinking replaced my, my baseball career. So I think that's when things really took off. And so your father, did your, your father was an alcoholic. Kiki, can you go away? Yeah. And were you aware? Um, I was aware that he drank a lot. Um, I, I was kept away from it, I guess. I don't have an awful lot of childhood memories, but I, I'm guessing my mother kept me away from it as much as she could. Um, you know, I can remember times when, when he'd be sitting on the couch and all of a sudden, you know, a rage of anger, you know, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we were, we were hustled off into another room or told to go upstairs or, um, you know, uh, stuff like that. I mean, being the youngest, I think I was sheltered from it a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What role did you play in your family? Um, that's hard to say. Um, you know, I was the one who was, who was, uh, I guess once I hit middle school ish, um, I was the scapegoat for certain things. My sister wasn't around much. Uh, my brother was the superstar. You know, he was in high school at the time, the athlete, all that type of stuff. And uh, I always felt alone and by myself. Um, mm-hmm. Less than, 
um, you know, never measuring up that, that type of stuff. So when you think about the laundry list, let me pull it up. Well, I guess before we, before we, before I pull that up, I guess since you've been listening to the podcast and kind of doing more of this work and like working with, I know you've done some work with Joe Ryan, what have been some aha, like aha moments for you regarding your upbringing? Um, I've been talking a lot with my sister lately. Um, she actually, she's sober, right? Yeah. She stopped drinking. She didn't, I don't know that she really had a problem. You know, she just came uh-huh. to the realization that she just drank for the heck of it. And it really didn't really didn't do anything for her. So we've been talking an awful lot about it. Um, and in the upbringing, I guess, um, I guess just just all, you know, that feeling that that I never belonged and in that feeling that that I was always less than, um, you know, I struggled in school. Uh, I had a hard time for a while. I think it was like middle school-ish. I developed a stutter. Um, I think it was mostly nerves and type stuff, but my mother always used to bash me about it. You know, stop that. You don't Mm. do that. Um, So it was always that type of feeling. You're like, I don't want to do this. (laughs) This isn't a choice. I guess what this podcast and, and, and the program has given me is, is the understanding that I no longer have to feel that way. You know, I, I can mm-hmm. be myself. I don't, don't have to try and prove myself to other people. I don't have to, to explain myself all the time. Um, you know, I, you know, I keep uh-huh. telling myself I'm, I'm going to be 54. Why do I feel like I'm a 10? You know, why do I always walk into a room and think <laughs> I don't belong here? You know, I need to sit in the corner and let the adults talk. I think it's because you're actually two kids stacked on top of each other in a French coat. That's actually why. <laughs> but this program and this podcast has really, um, really helped me to, to get the confidence so that I no longer, I know I no longer have to feel that way, even though deep inside I still do. I know I shouldn't. So so I can rationalize and I can understand and I can tell myself I'm better than this. I'm fine. Um, you know, I think that's the big thing for me right now. Yeah. And I've seen you, you've shared about it. I mean, I see you, I see you dealing with the feelings and sitting in it. And I mean, I know that you've had several of those experiences where you're just kind of in it and you, you know, you, you let it pass and you're not drinking over it or you're not trying to push it away. And, um, and pretty cool to see. Okay. Cyril, what, um, pull this up. What laundry list trait has, has caused you the most pain? One of the Rick's greatest hits. Fearful for authority figures. That's, that's definitely one. Um, I'm definitely a, an approval seeker. There's no doubt there. Um, and I have a hard time standing up for myself, you know, I have a hard time. Um, I was trying to over explain everything, um, which I don't need to do. Um, I guess that would be the biggest one for me. Well, it's interesting too, because you're a business owner though, you know? Yes. Yeah. That's, um, it's been very challenging for me at times, um, dealing with employees. Uh, luckily I've had a lot of very good employees who, who do their 
job and I don't have to really monitor them much. Um, it has been extremely hard for me to let people go. I haven't yeah. had to let too many people go. I don't have a you know a large business, but um, two of the people I had to let go, I actually started crying. <laughs> I just, you know, I couldn't muster it up. You know, it, it just, it, it's very hard for me. Well, you had that one guy that you, didn't you find him another job? Yeah, actually recently. Yeah. He wound up, uh, he wound up coming in and I told him I had to go. And, um, he was like, it was something I did. And I was like, I, you know, unfortunately you did nothing wrong, but, um, you know, I searched around and found you and found you a, a replacement job. So, you know, he's got a wife and he's got kids and he's got a house, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I need to sleep at night. Yeah, I know. It's nice to do that. Is it like being over overly responsible? I don't know. No, because it kind of seemed like it, it wasn't like you were like going on zip recruiter and searching. It kind of like fell in your lap, right? You were talking to somebody on the phone and they said they needed help, right? Well, I reached out to someone that I knew you know, a couple people to find out if they needed some extra help and they actually needed somebody full time. So yeah, it kind of worked out good that way. You weren't like posting his resume on, on ZipRecruiter. <laughs> That's probably taking it too far. Just saying. I will say I probably uh, waited a little too long to get rid of them though. So, but you know, it is what it is. What it is. Um, so give me a good shit show story. Um, I was thinking about this cause I think it, I listened to your last Saturday one, um, a couple of buddies of mine at, uh, in college drove down to see a friend of ours who, who was a manager in like a, like a local store type of thing. So we show up at his house and of course we, we grab him after work and we go out drinking. So we're bar hopping and, um, I, usually being the one who drove, uh, was driving us around. We get to a bar and my buddy gets in a fight. Uh, my other buddy can't stand up. So, you know, it's an immediate sh uh, shit show at the bar. We're trying to get each other out. <laughs> we get in the car. Now we're driving back to my buddy's house and I have no idea where he lives because, you know, uh, we're from out of town. So we're driving down the highway and um, another friend in the back seat said, it's like two more exits up. We need to get off. Well, one of my friends in the back seat is about to get sick. So we pull over so that he can throw up in the, in the, in the curb or off the side of the highway. And of course a police car pulls up behind us. So, I'm like, we're done. We're all done. We're fit. So the cop pulls up, asks me for my license, registration. We give them all that. And I get out and I get, I get tested for DWI. So pass the eye test. And he wants me to say the alphabet backwards. Which who could even do that? Like sober. I can't even fucking do that sober. No way. So I, so I go Z, Y, I don't know. And I stick my hands out. Cause I know he's just going to come me right there. I'm done. So he, he asked me, where are you going? I said, we're going up one more exit. My, my, my friend lives right off the exit. And he looks at me and he goes, all right, keep it straight and go. I was like, Oh my God, we skated that one. That was so bad. I feel like that shit doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. That, yeah, definitely doesn't happen anymore, but that was, 
but that was me just about every weekend, you know, uh, just getting drunk out of my mind, no matter who was there. Couldn't miss a party. Had to always go out. It was, uh, you know, I thought it was fun, but looking back, it was a lot of stuff we did was dangerous. What about towards the ends? Were you doing a lot of drinking alone? Yeah. Um, yeah. At the end, I was, uh, well, I own my own business, so I kind of could do my own thing. And every day I would, uh, I would fight it every single day. I'd wake up in the morning hungover and I would wake up really early before anyone got out of bed and I would sneak off and go to work thinking I was hiding it. Um, and then I'd get to work and I'd start, you know, working and doing whatever really hung over. And, and for some reason in my head, I had to wait till three o'clock. I don't know why three o'clock, but I had to wait. So I would suffer. I mean, just hung over beyond hung over and three o'clock would come and I'd have beer in my drawer and I'd crack the beer open and I'd either pour it in a coffee cup or something. Um, you know, every day I tell myself I'm done and I would and I would drink during the day. And then, you know, once I got that buzz going, I didn't care anymore. I didn't care at all. And then everyone would leave for work and I'd sit at work and I would drink. I'd go out to the bars once in a while, but I really didn't want to that much and isolate. And I'd sit at work and I would drink till two or three in the morning until I knew everyone was asleep at home. And I would go home mm -hmm. and I'd crawl in bed. And I'd fall asleep and my alarm would be set for five and I'd get up in five and do it all over. I did that for probably eight months, nine months like that. Um, and it was torture. And I knew, I knew probably a year, year and a half before that, um, I had surrendered to the fact that this was going to be the rest of my life. This I was like, I'm, I'm destined to follow my, uh, my father's footsteps. And this, this is what's going, this is how it has to be. Cause there's no other way out. So I was, I was beat down and broken and I, I didn't see a way out. I just didn't. But you found a way out. Yeah, actually. Um, what happened was I usually stayed at work on Fridays until I knew everyone was home. Um, either I'd stay out all night, but you know, for whatever reason on a Friday, if, um, so this Friday I get home at like six o'clock and all three of my kids are out, um, wherever one's at a friend's house, whatever. And just my wife is sitting in the kitchen and I come home, you know, drunker and drunk as usual. And she just let me have it. She said everything she wanted to say to me. And I just stood there and took it because I knew it was all true. I had, I had become what I never wanted to become was my drunken father. Um, and it was a gut punch. It really, really hurt. Um, the next morning I woke up and I called the AA hotline. Um, cause I knew, I knew I needed help. Um, I never thought about going to AA. It never really even crossed my mind. I never really even knew anything about it. Um, so I called the hotline and I think that was on a Saturday. There was a Sunday, Sunday morning meeting I hit for the first one. And it was rough. It was really rough sitting in that meeting. So what has it been like as a parent um, to be a sober parent and also to be like a recovering adult child parent? Um, sober parent has been tough. Um, I, I drank mostly through my two older kids. 
Um, you know, I was there for them. My other kid, my, my older kids, I, I, I coached their baseball teams. I coached their softball teams. So I was, I was there, you know, it wasn't like, but I wasn't there, you know, half the time I'm not drinking or half the time I show up for a game and I've already been drinking. Um, I've shown up for, for practices where I was, a I was, a uh, uh, assistant coach and I had been drinking all day, you know, it, 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 it was bad. Um, but I wasn't there emotionally for him. I don't think I knew how, cause my father was never there for me emotionally. Um, I thought I was, I thought I was the dad, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, and now looking back, there's a lot of things I would have changed, but I do have a chance with my younger daughter who's 12. Um, so I've mm-hmm. learned a lot of stuff from the podcast, a lot of stuff from the program. Um, about how to treat situations and handle situations better, uh, more calm, um, understanding what she's going through as opposed to, mm-hmm. uh, telling them what they should be going through, you know, which was, done to me. Mm-hmm. Well, you have no right to feel that way. You, I work and blah, blah, you know, which is what I did to my first two. Oh, I work all these hours and all this stuff. Well, you know, with my younger one, I find myself doing that, but I can pause and stop and turn it, you know, a little bit so that she can feel more appreciated. Hopefully she has good self-esteem. Hopefully she has all this type of stuff that I'm, I'm learning how to even do myself, but I'm trying to practice it, how I deal with her. And it makes, it makes me feel good that I'm, that I'm hopefully changing that path, that path. Yeah. She's lucky to have you. And the older ones that could I've made amends and, uh, yeah, I was going to ask about that. How did that go? Um, they, they actually didn't really know I drank that much. I hit it an awful lot as best I could. Cause I didn't like it when my father drank. So I hardly uh-huh. ever drank at home. Um, I, uh-huh. out, I would come home drunk and if I was too drunk, I'd just go to bed. Um, uh-huh. And then I would not drink on weekends. I wouldn't drink Saturday. Uh-huh. And then usually I could make it till six or seven Sunday night. And then I couldn't take it anymore. I'd, I'd go in the basement or the garage or whatever. And just, you know, I just get that buzz starting. Um, but I have made amends to them and talked to them and um, they didn't have too much bad to say. Um, they didn't really know how much I drank um, and they support me a hundred percent. So actually I'm going to have both of them at my two year cake, um, on, on the 30th. Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah they're both going to be cold. the 30th. That's yeah. amazing. They're lucky, lucky to have a sober dad. Well, cool. Well, this has been amazing. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so grateful that you found the podcast and it's just been really, um, amazing to have you, to be on your journey with you, to be on the journey together. So I really appreciate I your support. The one that started it for me. So. <laughs>